Luke chapter 12. It's our scripture reading for this morning. Here we find Jesus instructing his disciples. And he said to his disciples, oh, I'm sorry, beginning verse 12, uh, beginning in uh, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They, neither, they have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all of the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your heart is, where, excuse me, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for the way that it guides our life. Thank you for the foundation that it provides and the hope that is granted as we meet your dear son in these pages. And Lord, my prayer for this morning is that your Holy Spirit would lead us into truth, that you would reveal to us another aspect of your nature that we so often fail to see. Father, give our hearts strength and courage this day as we yet again turn our eyes to you, our hope, our Redeemer, our salvation. It's in your son's name that we pray these things. Amen. Maybe seated. Have you ever found yourself in a situation in which you're overhearing a conversation that you know you're not meant to hear? And there's this weird thing that goes on in which your interest has been sparked by something, and yet the knowledge that says, you know, this is really not meant for my ears. I found myself in Target a couple weeks ago with my wife uh, shopping, which I love, uh, don't get me wrong, I, I was uh, plowing through racks as she was trying on clothes, and I hear just a snapshot of a conversation that was taking place between uh, two women, I'm assuming one 
uh, a younger woman and one uh, an older woman, mother, daughter, aunt, niece. I'm not sure the relationship. But, but the gist of the conversation was this. And again, I'm trying not to eavesdrop. I'm trying not to invade their privacy. But, you know, there's some things you can't help but overhear. And then I don't know the circumstances around this, but this is... This was the advice that was given. The younger woman found herself in a dilemma. Some quandary about which she was seeking the advice of this older lady. And the older lady's suggestion was this. You know, honey, what your husband doesn't know doesn't hurt him. And if he asks directly, just just shade the truth a little bit. Just, you know, you don't have to tell him everything. And if he asks directly, just, you know, leave out the key details. And I, you know, at that point I realized that, you know, if I listen any longer, I'm, I may have to give her some advice of my own. And so I... I step back and go about my business. Maybe I should have been. I don't know. I'm not that guy. But that is stuck in my memory because I think it highlights or underscores for us something that has become very commonplace. Although the scripture doesn't do it, I think we sometimes, as believers or followers of Jesus, have established a hierarchy of things which the scriptures command us not to do, but we say, Meh, maybe not quite as big a deal. The counsel that had been given to this young lady was, if you are asked a direct question, just lie. You know, it's a white lie. Those, those don't really even count. Well, those of us who have studied God's word know that that is not the advice that Jesus would have given. Well, I think what we find in our Scripture text this morning is another such dilemma. And if I can just be honest with you, I have established in my mind pretty clear lines in terms of telling the truth, the necessity of telling the truth. But where we find this morning is something that God says has commanded us not to do Worry, be anxious, fret. And yet, we readily confess as a common part of our existence. Do you worry about things? Does fear at times grip you in such a way as to paralyze our actions? Let me just pull the curtain back a little bit on guys who stand here our beloved pastor as well, myself, ministers of the gospel across the world. Whatever we are preaching, nine times out of ten, most of us have had to repent of moments before taking this pulpit. I find myself trying to focus on our hymns this morning and myself worrying about this moment. I'm going to preach a sermon about worry but I'm worrying about the worry that I'm going to profess you not do. <laughs> this is common. This is something 
that on a base level is a part of human existence, and yet God has said something very, very clear about it. And though we want to take this idea of worry and treat it with kid gloves to devalue or to wash it away or say that it's something that's not quite as important as murder or adultery or anger or hatred, I don't know that God views it in the same capacity. The background of the text that we've read this morning I think highlights this as well. In the section just preceding verse 22 where we began, Jesus is teaching the crowds. And from among the crowds, he is given the question about inheritance. Teacher, my brother and I have this inheritance dispute. Would you help us figure it out? And he goes on to tell the parable of the rich young fool, the, the, uh, the story about the man who had done well for himself, had built barns, stored up a great multitude of grain. And yet, in verse 18, as he, as he says, I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones. The Lord says in the following verse, that, uh, or in verse 20, you fool this very night your soul will be required of you. The implication being very clearly that all the safety and security and prosperity that this world has offered ultimately is of very little, in fact, no eternal value. That's the context in which he says these things. And, and after he has taught the crowds, I think it's very important in verse 22 that the section of Scripture that we read this morning is not directed to the crowds, it's not directed to the multitudes, the Gentiles, who might have been a part of this audience. The instruction that we read this morning, Jesus gives to his disciples, to the young men who have committed their lives to following him. People like you and I. So as he goes on to address this idea of being anxious about worrying about your life, this morning as we process this stuff, I, I want us to be cognizant of the fact that what Jesus is teaching his disciples is meant for us as well. There are many ways that we could highlight this text. There are many different ways you could outline it as I'm researching it. There's, you know, we could talk about God's provision, the way he provides for his people. We could talk about uh, the difference between earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. We could talk about the need to pursue the kingdom first. All of those are great. All of those, these things speak to directly in this text. But I want us to look at it from just a slightly different angle this morning. I want us to look at what worry really is. What being anxious really is. Jesus commands his followers not to worry. Worry is a serious offense. And unfortunately, as we've seen, it's common to our existence. But when we worry, we call into question some very serious things. In fact, I'm going to suggest we call into question three things about the fundamental aspect and nature of our God. 
When we worry, the first thing that we call into question is God's omniscience. The first thing that we call into question when we worry is God's omniscience. Omniscience is a fancy word that speaks of God's infinite knowledge and understanding of all things possible and actual in the past, present, and future. That's a mouthful. That's, that's a $5 way of saying that when we talk about God being omniscient, it means he knows everything. He knows everything that ever has been, everything that is now, everything that ever will be, and he knows them not only what is actual, but what even might potentially happen if X, Y, and Z happened. It is a big picture approach to the way that we as the creatures begin to understand or think about God, the creator, that he's got it all in the palm of his hand. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the omniscience of God. And unfortunately, one of the things that we do when we worry is we call that into question. Have you ever thought about it? When we worry about particular issues or items or subjects that we might have, maybe not on a conscious level, but certainly on an unconscious level, what we're doing is saying, gosh, God, do you know about this? Do you see what I'm dealing with here? Apparently not, because it's right here on my front porch. Are you aware? Do you see? Do you hear? When we worry, we question whether God is truly aware of the circumstances in which we find ourselves. You know, God doesn't have any of those school bus moments. He he doesn't have any of those school bus moments. What I mean by that is, for those of you who have had children, there's a point in the raising of those children in which, and now maybe it's not a physical school bus, but there's a moment in which you take little Johnny or you take little Sally and you walk them to the school bus and you send them on their way out into the big dark world. Completely unaware of what they are going to experience or interact with. We've heard stories. We think we remember a little bit of what it was like when we went to school. Or we went to X or Y or Z. Those moments in which we find ourselves with this young one who we adore and we have to send them on their way. Maybe it's to, maybe it's to elementary school. Maybe it's that moment that you dropped your son or daughter off at college and prayed the whole way home that they wouldn't mess it up. Maybe it's a son or a daughter that you've sent into the military with the hope and prayer that the God of America and the United States is manifest and present in Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever that young one ends up. You know, part of our fear and worry in that comes because we don't know what they're going to experience. And that breeds fear within us. My daughter's four years old. For the most part, I am still a big father filter. 
of anything that gets to come into her life. My wife guards the television. My wife and myself guard the friends that she interacts with. Anything that comes into her little environment, because she's four years old, we still, for the most part, get to filter. There is a paralysis that comes when you remember that those days are drawing to an end very quickly. And there is a point where I myself will have a school bus moment where I have to send little Anna out into a world that I can't protect her from. And that breeds worry and fear. But friends, Jesus knows no such fear because Jesus is omniscient. He is fully aware of the situations and circumstances that his children are in. And this morning, is, you're in, if you're anything like me, when Mike is preaching, I immediately begin to process everything he's saying through where I am in my seat. And so if he would be up here saying this, I would be immediately thinking of that thing that I'm worried about. That one or two Situations or circumstances or people that have bred within me fear. And if you're doing that, let me remind you that God is fully aware of whatever it is that's rattling around in there. He knows about it. He knows the inner workings of it. He knows what it is that is causing you to fear. You saw in the scriptures uh, this uh, this played out for you. He says, you know, he talks about um, the needs of, of birds and the needs of the lilies. And, and in verse uh, in verse 30, did you hear it? He says, for the nations of the world seek after these things, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. The nations seek after these things, but your father knows you need them. Friends, we're in a scary time. We really are. I mean, you know. Thankfully, I mean, we think about the economy and, and all that it's doing. I mean, I have the fortune or misfortune from being able to watch the roller coaster that some of you guys are riding, you know. I understand what it's, what it's like on, this, on some level to be able to think about the economy, to be able to think about the, the national politics, international politics, Read the newspaper and have these things cause great concern, but Jesus is an expert in these matters. He really, really is. He knows what we need. When we worry, we call into question God's uh, omniscience. You know the other thing that we do when we begin to worry? We call into question His omniscience. We also begin to call into question His omnipotence. His omnipotence, which is another $5 word which means that God is all-powerful. It speaks to God's unlimited authority and ability to bring into existence anything that He wills to happen. He is a powerful God. We see this idea again in the Scriptures as He begins to talk about the ravens and the lilies, how they... Don't worry, they don't spin, they don't seek after these things, and yet he feeds them. 
He's powerful enough to take care of the creatures that He has made. I believe that God is concerned about all of creation. And that the day is coming when our, when our Lord will appear and, and usher in the redemption, not just of mankind, but all of creation. And at the peak of that creation is you and I. And if Jesus has said that I am concerned about the smallest blade of grass and I am powerful enough to providentially care for that blade of grass, how much more do you think that I care about you? You see, when we worry and we call in to question God's omnipotence, we're asking whether or not God is really powerful enough to handle whatever it is that I'm worrying about. God, do you really know? Are you really there? Do you really see the level on which I'm operating? Do you know about that thing on my front porch that is causing me to fear? And if you do know about it, are you powerful enough to do something? They work hand in hand because if one has failed and the other is not, we still don't find resolution. God, are you really powerful enough to take care of this thing that is sucking the life out of me? Is there anything more helpless than to sit with a child or a loved one who is suffering? To draw near to a bedside, to watch from a distance as someone you care about spirals downward, physically, emotionally, mentally, with the firm understanding that there is nothing that I can do. I can pray, I can try to listen. I'm not a doctor, not a psychologist. I'm certainly not the great physician. And I am anti-potent. I've got no power. But I have come to trust in the one who is all-powerful. You know... Scriptures teach that God identifies with his people as his people suffer. In fact, for Peter, 1 Peter 4, goes so far as to say that it is as we suffer that we are most closely identified with Christ. And yet the feelings that God experiences as we suffer are not a result of him being helpless to do anything about it. Does that make sense? The feelings that God experiences as we suffer do not arise from Him being unable to do anything about it. That's where our feelings come from. The feelings that God experiences, in fact, are quite the opposite. It's the feelings of a father who watches a child struggle and swim upstream and wrestle with whatever it is that is causing us to wrestle. 
with the knowledge that it is in this struggle that they will learn and grow and be more like me. Not because I'm unable to rescue you from this. Look, and that's hard. Okay, I don't, I don't profess to understand why. But I have been assured through the scriptures that that is the essential characteristic that our God is operating through. You know, for most of us, assigning these two qualities to our Father is not that difficult. You know, if you've been raised in the church or spent some amount of time in the church, then to speak about God as being all-powerful or to speak about God as being all-knowing, these things are... These things are not too hard for us to ascribe to God. The Psalms are alone are, are ripe with, with, with references to this fact. But when we think about those things that we worry about, when we think about those things that we're anxious for, and the only filter that we have is God's omniscience and omnipotence to cling to, we have an incomplete picture. Think about it. I hinted at it already, but if God is omniscient, all-knowing, but not omnipotent, then he's weak, right? He knows what's wrong, but he's not powerful enough to do it. Well, if he's omnipotent, but not omniscient, then he's a fool. Because... He may be powerful enough to do something about it, but he's clueless. That's not accurate either. And even if he's both, even if he is omnipotent and he is omniscient, and yet I find myself stuck wrestling with whatever this is, the temptation is to think about God as a jerk. He knows what I'm dealing with. He's powerful enough to do something about it. So what's the deal? And unfortunately, that is a conclusion that so many of my friends have come to. This realization that, you know, you talk about this God being all-powerful. You, you say that He has all knowledge of circumstances, and yet I'm stuck. I've got a kid who I'm fretting about every day. I've got a job that I'm worried if I'm going to have next week. What's the deal? The picture about God being omnipotent and omniscient is incomplete. He is those things, but he's one more. And I think Luke draws that out. Did you, did you hear as I read it? Listen to verse 32. Well, let's back up verse 31. He says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Listen to verse 32. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. But God is also compassionate. And when we worry, we call that into question. God, are you really aware of what I'm dealing with? Are you really powerful enough to do something about it? And do you really care what happens to me? 
the resounding answer of the Scriptures is, yes, I care. Yes, I know. And yes, I can do something about it. Little flock, it is my desire, it is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, this is another distinction of Christianity. It's another thing that we get, those of us who have followed Christ, who've trusted Him with our life, it's another distinction that we have from all of the other world religions. You see, when a Muslim believes that he has been blessed, he says that Allah has acted mercifully. But when you and I come to the conclusion that we have been blessed, our refrain is that our God is loving and merciful. And that is way more than splitting hairs. Our God does not act mercifully. He does not act gracious. He is merciful and He is gracious. And those things that flow out of Him are a very representation of the nature with which He has existed eternally. Allah may act gracious, but our God is he is merciful. He is the very representation. He is the Hebrews, the author of Hebrews goes on to say that in Jesus we have the exact rep- representation, the exact imprint in Jesus of our risen and reigning and living God. He employs this imagery of a shepherd and his flock. And what is the inheritance of the flock? It's not bigger barns. It's not bigger storehouses. It's not the promise of a positive economic future. It's not national hope or security. It is, in fact, the promise of the coming kingdom. Friends, that's our hope, that's our inheritance. That's what Easter Sunday is all about. That our Jesus who was, who was risen from the grave as the first fruits is the promise that you and I will experience that same resurrection, that same hope, that same eternity in the, in the kingdom where there is fullness of love, fullness of fellowship, fullness of joy. The promise of release from these things which burden and weigh our heart down. And that is the joy that we experience. That our soul has found rest and satisfaction in the coming kingdom. You know, in the moments when I'm really honest, that's where I struggle. It's not a struggle to believe that God is all-powerful. I believe that. It's not a struggle to believe that He is all-knowing. I believe that. It's a struggle that says, could the Creator God of the universe care about a person like me? A person as broken, as unworthy, as wretched as me. Could He really, really care about me? You know, and that's a struggle. I mean, it's, it is. Just, 
just because you do this, it doesn't make it any less of a struggle. But I do find comfort in knowing that I'm not the only one who deals with this. In fact, let's close. If you have your Bible, go to Isaiah 53. It is familiar. We have read it even on Sunday mornings as an affirmation of our faith. It is, quite honestly, the section of Scripture that I turn to most often when I, when I have these struggles, when I wrestle with these fears. Isaiah ministering in a time that is ripe with political turmoil and strife, ministering to a people whose future is uncertain, ministering to people like me, perhaps even like you. And as I read these words, I want you to hold in your mind that image, that picture, that person that you are worrying about, that you are anxious about. Hold that picture in your mind and listen to these words. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored I have loved you. I give men in exchange for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I'll say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold, my, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth and everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. Give me my people, they are mine. I am precious to them and they are precious to me. Don't ever, ever, ever doubt as to whether or not the Lord God Almighty cares for you. He does. So much so that He has given men in exchange for you. Nations as a ransom that we might be gathered together in the kingdom fully and finally. God knows what it is you're concerned about. He's powerful enough to do something about it. And He really, really cares what's happening to you, to the ones you love. Let's pray. Father, it's a love I don't understand. It's a love I struggle with. It's a love that I can be so fully convinced of in my head and yet
2 in the morning or 3 in the morning as I'm still not asleep. I can be so unconvinced of in my heart. And so, Lord, our confession, my confession, is that we need you to draw near to us. We need the remedy of worry, which is a fuller understanding and relationship with your Son. Oh, Lord, draw near to us. Thank you for being merciful, for being gracious. And Lord, usher us from this place and into a more fuller abiding relationship with your son, Jesus. We thank you, our Lord and our God. Amen. Amen. We're going to celebrate God by singing of our closing hymn which is 580, Lead on, O King Eternal. Would you stand and sing with me?